you would remain standing and turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Two chapters to go. We're almost there. Been going through Luke for a couple of years now, and we have made it to chapter 23. We'll be reading verses 1 through 25 this morning. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Luke writes, Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And then Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee, even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he, he asked whether this man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him and was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length. But he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently, vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with, with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. After examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand would be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, and he delivered Jesus over to their will. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord remains forever. You may be seated. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, we come to you this morning hearing these words from your scripture. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Amen. So as I mentioned to the children this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, this man Barabbas this morning. And in fact, what we're going to be doing is looking at justification through this man, Barabbas. And what we'll see through these 25 verses is that because our salvation is a free gift from God, 
Just like birthday presents, we don't have to work for them. They're given to us. Uh, Just like salvation is a free gift of God, we should joyfully receive it like Barabbas did in our passage this morning. So as we go through, or have we, as we've been going through this last week of Jesus' life, just want to remind you that as we experience the, the raw emotion of it, of what is happening to Jesus here, uh, the mockings, these, these trials, the beatings, uh, the, the crown of thorns that he will receive, the crucifixion itself, we see the love of Jesus through it. That in this uh, very raw time, we see how Christ is pouring out His love for us. So, uh, this week, uh, as we look at this trial before Pilate, we see even in the silence of Jesus that He's displaying His love. We see that Jesus only speaks once in these 25 verses. When Pilate asks, are you the king of the Jews? And His response simply is, you say that I am. Other than that, Jesus is silent. He gives no defense. He doesn't give Pilate or Herod anything to work with. He offers no rebuttal to the religious leaders or to the crowd. Instead, he stands there silent, allowing what is happening to him. And uh, he is embodying what he later will say on the cross, where he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So as we look at the love that Jesus is pouring out, and as we look at justification this morning, let us remind ourselves what is justification. Uh, During our catechism class this last summer, we didn't quite get to it. We got through 30. This was actually number 33. Uh, And this is uh, uh, one that I had to memorize as part of my exams for seminary. But the shorter catechism describes justification this way. Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ, which is imputed to us and received by faith alone. And so through the one character in particular, through Barabbas, we're going to see an image of what this justification really is. Now, I cannot say whether or not Barabbas was justified. We don't know that for sure. We don't know if Barabbas actually had faith in Christ, uh, like the thief on the cross did. Uh, But we see in the story of Barabbas these very great truths of justification and how that happened to him. So, uh, first of all, let's walk through the passage together. This is a very familiar one to us. Um, But let's walk through it together so that we can understand what is going on here. So how do we get from the Jewish trial to the crucifixion? That's basically what's happening here. So it starts off with the religious leaders. It says the whole company bringing Jesus before Pilate. So they go together as a mob to Pilate. And they bring the accusation to Pilate. They they accuse... uh, In the trial that they had as religious leaders, they accused Jesus of blasphemy. And that's what they convicted him of. But when they come to Pilate, suddenly they have a very different story. uh, Their accusation before Pilate is this. We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. That is not what they convicted him of. And plus, that's not even true. Because we know several weeks ago when we were looking at 
um, when someone had come to Jesus and asked, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? If this accusation was true, he would say, no, you should not pay taxes to Caesar. But what did Jesus say? He said, well, give me a coin, and whose head is on the coin? It is Caesar. And what did he say? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. So they're bringing a false accusation before Pilate here. Um, And Pilate, when he receives this, he asks Jesus, you know, are you the king of the Jews? Because they also accuse him of being Christ, a king, explaining that to, to Pilate so he understands. And so Pilate turns to Jesus and he says, are you the king of the Jews? As he was asking that question, he was probably looking Jesus up and down and thinking to himself, this guy? Like, this guy is claiming to be the king of the Jews? We know in Isaiah 53, uh, Jesus had no form or majesty that we should be attracted to him, no beauty that we should desire him. Nothing about Jesus gave him any indication that he would be a king. So Pilate is thinking to himself, is this a joke? But Jesus' answer is very pointed when he asks, are you the king of the Jews? He says, you say that I am. And in reality, what he is saying is, yes, what you say is true. Pilate dismisses it and he says, look at this man. I don't find any guilt in this man, much less guilt deserving death. And in no less than four times in our passage, Pilate declares that this man is innocent. He sees no fault in him, no guilt in him. He desires to set him free. He does not see it in Jesus But the religious leaders cannot let this go. They need to up the ante. And so they say to him, no, well, he's an insurrectionist. He stirs up the people all over the country, from Galilee even to here. And we know that that is not true either. He is not an insurrectionist. Pilate, at this point, he hears an out. He has an opportunity to wash his hands of, of, uh, of Jesus. He knows that Galilee is Herod's jurisdiction, He knows that Herod is there in Jerusalem. So he basically says, well, let Herod deal with him if he is truly a Galilean. It's good for Herod anyways. Herod is part Jewish. He understands Jewish culture, Jewish religion. Uh, He understands these people to a greater degree. So why don't we let Herod deal with it? So Jesus goes before Herod, and Herod is delighted to see him. And why is Herod delighted? Because basically what Herod wants is to be entertained by Jesus. He has heard about all these signs and these miracles that he has done, and he wants to see one for himself. Uh, Basically, uh, he wants what we want when we come to see Scott Davis. He wants to see magic tricks from Jesus. But Jesus doesn't perform magic tricks. Uh, We had a little conversation this past week with my children. Uh, We were doing devotions one night. And one of my children asked me, does God do magic? (laughs) I thought it was kind of an odd question. And my response was, no, God doesn't do magic. He does miracles. But when Jesus was here, he didn't do magic. And the response was, oh, so he does magic miracles. Like, no, he does not do magic. Because magic uh, are illusions. They're deception. They're misdirection, trying to get you to focus on something while they do something else. 
But what Jesus does is truth. He doesn't uh, appear to calm a storm through some sort of trick. What he does is he actually calms a storm. He doesn't uh, appear to raise someone from the dead. He actually raises people from the dead. But Jesus will not do a sign in front of Herod because he knows what Herod wants. He doesn't want to believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. He simply wants to be entertained. Herod is very disappointed in Jesus because Jesus never responds to him at all. Uh, Jesus is stone cold silent the entire time he is there. So Herod decides that he needs to create some entertainment of his own if Jesus isn't going to provide any for them. So they put him in fancy clothes, they have sport with him, they mock him, beat him, everyone laughs, and they send him back to Pilate. Jesus is just a waste of Herod's time. He's got better things to do. So Jesus comes back to Pilate, and I'm sure Pilate is disappointed. I wish Herod would have taken care of that. But uh, the Bible tells us that after this time, people who had been bitter enemies, Pilate and Herod, suddenly are good friends. That even though they didn't believe in Jesus, Jesus has this this ability as the Son of God to unify, to bring people together, even if they are enemies of him. So when he comes back to Pilate, here's when things start to get nasty between the religious leaders and the crowd. Pilate basically says to them, listen, I don't see anything in this man that would make him guilty, specifically guilty of death, Neither does Herod. I'm just going to punish him and to let him go. To make, him, to make you guys happy, I will punish him for you, but I will release him. Now to me, this is odd. Pilate doesn't see anything wrong. He sees him as completely innocent, yet he's going to punish him. This wouldn't fly in our legal system today. It doesn't sound fair. But then again, nothing about this trial was really fair. So the religious leaders start to get ugly. They incite the crowd to yell. Things are quickly spiraling out of control. People are yelling, crucify him, crucify him. They say, take this man away. Give us Barabbas instead. And if you remember, it was custom at that time for Pilate to release a prisoner to the people. So this was usually a publicity stunt in a sense. What it does is that it keeps the people happy. It keeps the people submissive. So the people call for Barabbas, and we're going to talk about him in just a second. So Pilate can't take the pressure from the screaming crowd, and so he caves to the pressure. The only reason that Jesus is sentenced to be crucified is because the crowds were shouting, and they overwhelmed Pilate. He couldn't handle it. And so he gives in. He hands Jesus over to be crucified even though he does not believe he is guilty. What Pilate does is that he allows mob justice. So what kind of a legal system would we have if our judges allowed for mob justice? Whoever shouts the loudest gets their way. You know, we have a a nominee for the Supreme Court that is nominated by President Obama this past week. How would it be if our Supreme Court justices allowed mob justice? That they allowed people in their courtroom and whoever uh, shouted the loudest, those are the people that they would render judgments for. That's not how justice works, but that's how it worked in the trial of Jesus. 
So Barabbas is freed, Jesus is sentenced to be crucified, and all the while, Jesus remains silent. So how does justification fit into this? How do we see the beauty of this great doctrine of justification in in this story here? Well, let's talk about Barabbas. Now, we don't know much about him at all. Uh, We know from this passage uh, that he was a man who had led an insurrection and that he had been convicted of murder. Um, Most likely, he was probably a a zealot. Uh, Imagine that he was maybe a little unstable, uh, maybe a little volatile. Um, But there is nothing beyond that that we know about Barabbas. But something happens to him here that separates him from the other characters in this story, from the religious leaders, from Pilate, from Herod, and even from the crowd. Because in Barabbas' story, we see the beauty of justification. So we're going to see that in three ways. We're going to see it in Barabbas' knowledge of his pre-existing condition. Uh, We're going to see it in how he receives the gift. And then finally, uh, we're going to see it in the punishment that Barabbas uh, received or, in fact, did not receive. So first of all, uh, Barabbas shows us justification in this way, is that he knew his standing. Barabbas was convicted of insurrection and of murder. He knew what that meant. He knew the reason why he was sitting there in prison. He had every knowledge of that. And that knowledge actually separated him from the religious leaders, from the crowd, from Pilate, and from Herod. Because when the religious leaders, Pilate, Herod, and the crowd came to Jesus, they didn't understand their need. Barabbas knew his need. He was in prison. The religious leaders, we've talked about them a ton. They were self-righteous. They didn't think that they needed Jesus. In fact, they saw Jesus as a threat to their authority, so they wanted to eliminate him. They didn't understand their need for him. Pilate wanted nothing to do with Jesus. He had an indifference toward him. Yes, he wanted to set him free because he didn't see him as guilty, but he didn't see the need for Jesus in his life. He had a a sense of complacency. To him, Jesus isn't necessary. I'm very fine as I am. Thank you very much. To Herod, Jesus was simply entertainment. He was the flavor of the day. Uh, something to spice life up. Uh, All he wanted from Jesus was a good time. He wanted to see something spectacular. What he didn't realize is that he needed Jesus as a Savior. What we see from Herod and others like him is that uh, Jesus is just there to uh, entertain or to impress us. And finally, the crowd. Oh, the crowd. Now, we can't say that the the crowd that was there at the trial of Jesus was the same crowd that was there uh, on Palm Sunday. But we do get this sentiment of uh, what was happening in the culture of that day, just being blown uh, and tossed to and fro as as the wind. Um, One day they would be shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then several days later, they would be shouting, crucify him. The crowd is confused. They don't understand who Jesus is. They don't know what's going on. They're tossed by the wind. 
They haven't truly examined the truth claims of Jesus, and so they don't understand what is happening. They don't understand their need for him. Barabbas, on the other hand, understands his need. He understands that he needs to be rescued. And so that is the first step of our justification. It's knowing that we are sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure, which is the first question that we asked our communicants this morning. Do you understand that you are a sinner in God's sight? Barabbas understood that. And for us to understand our justification, we need to realize that we are sinners. So the second way that Barabbas displays justification to us is this, is that justification is a gift and we should receive it as such. And this is what we were talking about this morning with the kids. On our birthday, we don't work for our presents. Now, there may be some chores that we still have to do, like making our bed and things like that. Um, But we don't have to work for the presents that we receive. We, We receive them as gifts. They are gifts. And that's what Barabbas did as well. You know, I can't imagine the scene uh, of Barabbas sitting there in the prison cell. Suddenly the door flying open, guards come in. He probably thinks that he's going to receive another beating uh, or something maybe, you know, hauled out in front of Pilate again. And instead of receiving a beating, what he's told is, you're free. You're free. I can't imagine the questions that he had in his mind. Like, are you kidding? Like what's going on? What, what's happening? And as they explain to him what is happening, well... Jesus is going to be punished for you, and you are going to be set free. I, I just can't imagine what was going on in Barabbas' head at that point. But I can tell you what was not going on. I can tell you that he did not say, well, that's not fair. I'm the one who committed murder. I'm the one who should be punished for it, not Jesus. I'll stay here, and Jesus should go free. No, Barabbas takes that gift. He receives it, just like we received the gift of justification. We don't say, you know what, that's not fair that Jesus died for my sins. I need to die for my sins. That's not how justification works. Instead, we simply receive the fact through faith that Christ has died for us. We receive it as a gift. We don't work for it, and we don't pay it back. Just like we don't have our children write us a check for how much their birthday presents cost us, Jesus does not ask us to pay back what he has done for us. We simply receive it with gratitude. Because let's be honest, could our kids pay back the birthday presents that we've gotten for them? Of course not. Could we ever pay back the gift that Jesus has given? No, we never could. So Barabbas accepts it with gratitude we should accept this gift with gratitude as well. Finally, what we see in Barabbas is this great exchange, and I alluded to it already. The soldiers come in, they let Barabbas go, and they tell him, Jesus is being punished in your place. That is the beauty of justification. What Barabbas deserved as an insurrectionist and as a murderer was placed on Jesus who was completely innocent. You know, every year, Pilate would release a prisoner. Um, Never before do we know that he had a prisoner exchange. He would simply just release a prisoner to them. 
But in this situation, there was an exchange. Jesus took the place of Barabbas. He took on uh, the guilt of an insurrectionist and of a murderer. And not just Barabbas' punishment. He took on the punishment of us all. So what Barabbas rightly deserved, which was death, was placed on Jesus, who deserved none of it. So the beauty of justification is this, is that Christ, our Lord and our Savior, at the cross, bore our punishment. We asked the kids this morning as they were coming to us uh, as communicants, we asked them, what does every sin deserve? Uh, one, says, one said, uh, the wrath of God and death. And that's true. Every single one of us, because of our sin, deserves the wrath of God and deserves death, just like Barabbas. But instead of receiving that, we asked, what do you receive instead? They said, we receive life. And not just life now, but eternal life. This great exchange that God has done through His Son is incredible. It shows the great love that God has for us. It shows the great love that Jesus, His Son, has for us because He was willing to do this on our behalf. You know, in just a moment uh, after we pray, uh, we're going to sing a song. It's called, Man of Sorrows, One a Name. And uh, I want to read some of the verses because it sums up beautifully this gift that we receive in our justification. And then we will sing it as well. It says, Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And listen carefully to verse 2. It says, Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. He sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. That is justification. He stood in our place, receiving what we deserved, and it was placed on him. Guilty, helpless, lost were we. Blameless Lamb of God was he. Sacrificed to set us free. Hallelujah, what a Savior. He was lifted up to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And when he comes, our glorious King, all his ransomed home to bring. Then anew this song will sing, Hallelujah, what a Savior. So with these words ringing in our minds, let us be reminded of the great love that Christ has for us. This great love that would cause Him to take our place, that would take upon our punishment, even the wrath of God, so that we might have life. Now I don't know what happened with Barabbas. I know that he received legal justification. I don't know if he received spiritual justification. I pray that that was the case. But we have this gift that maybe Barabbas did not have. This standing before God that all of our sins have been wiped away because of the love of Christ. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, we thank you for this man of sorrows. Oh, what a name. For the love of that he has shown us, that in our place condemned he stood, and that he sealed our pardon with his blood. 
And we look forward to the day when our glorious King, with all His ransomed home to bring, that He will come and make all things new. And we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. We thank You for this wonderful gift of our justification. We thank You. We thank You. We thank You. It's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen.